The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our 10-part series on the Paramis. So I'm Chris Clifford, and I'm just so happy to get a chance to explore these, this list been doing. I see, recognize many of you from the Eightfold Path program. It's fun to look at a different list for a change. It's different and overlapping and similar, and it's another beautiful list. So uh, I'll just briefly let. I'm so happy to be doing this with these two dear friends of mine, Jennifer and David, and uh, it's good. we've had fun thinking about this for a couple of weeks, and I, I we're really looking forward to the year. So, do you want to just introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jennifer Lemus. It's a joy to be here. Um, a couple things about me. Mostly I serve as a volunteer chaplain at a hospital. I love chaplaincy. I also am the leader for the Buddhism and Recovery Group. And, um, and just enjoy being uh, of service here in teaching in whatever way is needed and welcome my name is David Cohn and um, I was just thinking um, when I started practicing, it was I was in, a young man. I was in my 20s, and I uh, walked into the Zen center. I had I'd been practicing with uh, different yogi yoga groups like Swami Satchidananda, and they were sort of these translucent, uh, you know, people with halos around them, and, <laughs> and I didn't feel like I quite fit. And uh, I uh, knocked on the door of the Zen center. And they were in the middle of a, well, they call it a session. It's a retreat there. And everybody looked kind of like they were really working on something, you know. And it was, there was suffering going on there. And uh, <laughs> I felt, wow, I'm home. Here, this is my home. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I love uh, practicing. I love the Dharma. I love, you know, being of service like Jennifer and, and Chris and... Uh, I'm also a chaplain at a hospital, and I, you know, have mentor the various programs that are around here, and uh, just happy to be here with all of you today. Yeah, I can just put that down. So I just want to say a few words about the program and the paramis. We're, we're going to have a sit, but we're not going to do it the very first thing. So, in case you're wondering, so just. To preview, we have generosity, virtue, letting go, wisdom, energy, patience, sometimes called tolerance, truth, resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. Well, it's kind of interesting how this list arose. It doesn't occur a whole lot in the, or maybe at all in the regular suttas, but there's a story of this man who had resolved to become a Buddha. So there, there grew, especially after the Buddha died, there grew this sense of what was it that was so special about the Buddha? 
And what does it take to become a Buddha? You know, not just a follower of the Buddha, but uh, somebody who could find that way for themselves. And so this list arose of these qualities of character that they, people felt that the Buddha had and that they wanted to work on perfecting. So one, one book on the Paramis is subtitled Buddhism and the Cultivation of Character. So that's a little bit what this is about. And there's two um, kind of apparently etymological meanings of the word parami. One of them is that it carries you across to the farther shore. Param means the farther shore. And being carried to the farther shore across the floods is one of the metaphors for what we're doing in our practice. And then the other one is that they're foremost, another meaning parama, foremost importance in formulating the purpose of our lives and directing our practice. I think of them as sort of, you know, the Eightfold Path is steps and practices that we can use to get there, and so are these in a way, but these are also the qualities of character that we appreciate in people who are walking on this path and that we're trying to cultivate in ourselves. So it's also very important that these are daily life-oriented practices as well. So they apply both to our practice on the cushion and to our practice in daily life. And there's this uh, beautiful synergy between the wisdom that's developed as we cultivate these qualities and what's needed to do our practice and what's needed drop by drop, this cultivation of wise relationship with what's going on in the world and how we actually are in the world that feeds back into our practice. So they're both the supports for our practice, as in the title of this course, and they're also the fruit of our practice that we get stronger and stronger in these qualities as we go. So I think maybe we'll say more about the Paramis themselves a little bit at the beginning of other sessions, but I don't want to shortchange generosity today. Let me just explain a tiny bit about how we're going to do this. We've decided it might be interesting, in contrast to the Eightfold Path, to send out the readings ahead of the meeting and see if you can do the readings and some of the reflections first and then come to the meeting and maybe we'll have a little bit richer discussion. But also, you know, please come. I mean, I don't want this to be about homework. You know, I want people to be able to drop in here and come and we're going to make the... We're going to introduce the topic as if you didn't know anything about it and we're going to have our discussion groups will be based on, not on what did you think of the readings, but, you know, how just common sense questions. So please come. And the readings we're going to send out every week about a page or so, sometimes two, if we can't restrain ourselves, of things that we thought you might enjoy reading or, you know, something on the topic. And there'll be a little reflection each week that you can do a little bit like the PATH program. But again, and, and we have these books that we love, but they're back, we're holding them just as background. If you like to read, these are a couple great books. And if you don't like to read, we're not making them officially the textbook for this course. So just hold it in some way that's actually useful and inspiring to you and not, not a burden and not uh, a source of guilt and feeling like you haven't done your homework and all that. So I hope that's... Uh, clear enough. I hope you all got that uh, mailing that had the list of the books on it. I won't go into that anymore right now. And uh, the other introduction to generosity that we sent out. So we're going to start out with a little bit of 
slightly letting you speak and get acquainted, and then we'll move into a, a guided meditation. So what we thought we'd do is break into groups of three. Uh, we might be even. If we're not even, if you're comfortable being in a group of two, that's fine. If you'd rather be in a larger group, you can join a group and make four. That's fine, too. And we thought we'd just look at that question that I did send out. But if you didn't get it, it's one you can just think about now and see what whatever comes to mind. Looking back at your upbringing and your attitudes, how were your attitudes toward generosity conditioned by your family and the culture that you grew up in? Okay, just some of us are, we're left with beliefs that support our being generous and beliefs that might inhibit our being generous or that might influence us to direct generosity in a particular way and not another way. No, or to feel that we shouldn't have to depend on the generosity of others or to feel like we should or there's so many different attitudes that can come from our backgrounds and it can just be interesting to kind of call those to mind to be aware of what is your conditioning as you move into this practice understand that question any questions about the question okay so just a little bit i think you've all done this but i not is anybody not done this thing where we break out and have little discussions well, you haven't done it. You haven't been here, right? I, I remember you from uh, Coastside, but you haven't done this. So just to say how we do this in these groups where we have little breakouts. It's not ordinary conversation. We really try to avoid crosstalk, interrupting each other, saying, oh, me too, me too, or, you know, offering advice or your opinion about what the other person said so we really go around and it's a chance for each person to just reach in stay connected with yourself really and say something that you feel comfortable sharing you don't have to say the you know most edgy thing you can think of about this so just something that you feel comfortable that you might like to articulate for yourself you know knowing that you're not going to get a lot of feedback you're just going to offer it. And so you listen to what's offered. and then, I mean, you, you offer what you offer, and then as other people speak, you're really practicing wise listening to what they have to say. And you don't have to spend any time preparing on what you're going to say in response, because you're not. Okay? So it's a different, it's a different way of using our voices to stay in contact with ourselves and speak to each other. And also, we'd like to ask that you keep in confidence anything that's said here. That means not only saying, oh, guess what somebody said in the meeting the other day, but also not even bringing it up with the person later. You know, maybe the river's moved on. Let somebody just say something that comes to their mind, and then you don't go up later and say, say, you know that thing you said. Just leave it as it was in the moment. Okay? Does that make sense? So we'll see how this goes. So let's get in groups of three. Let's see how that works out. Right? You can just scoot your chairs around. You can, and if we're not a multiple of three, we'll figure it out. Looks like we are. We have maybe a group of four. Let's see. So, Mitra, have you got? So you and Liam are there, and oh, he's in a group of three. Yeah, join. Let's have a group of four. Just join a group of four. No problem. Right. Okay. 
Okay, so let me just give you a minute so everybody gets a minute to just think about this in silence and think about what you'd like to say. And when I ring a bell, maybe we'll start... Let's start with the person closest to me <laughs> in your group as an arbitrary starting point. And then we'll just go clockwise. And I'll ring a bell. You each have about... Mm, to honor the group of four, let's say you have four minutes apiece. And you do not have to fill that whole time. You may be surprised by how long that is or how short that is, depending on what you feel like. So pausing to think about the next thing. Silence is beautiful. We love silence. So you can take time. You can pause. If you're done before your time is up, your group can just sit there and take it in. So, okay? First person can talk. Okay, so let's reconvene. always interesting to hear if there's anything you'd like to share about that or even just how the experience was of talking in this way is it okay is that interesting useful the question yes let's use the mic because we do have a large group of people who are following from away so for all three of us it was very interesting that there's this legacy that's been handed down from our families, and our families came from very different places. Um, So in some ways, the way we are, we were conditioned to be that way, Mm -hmm. yet we're also here, so we have the free choice to change that conditioning, right? So it was very interesting to see that just based on our parents and our ancestors and our, our relationship to generosity through that, yeah. It was such a pleasure for me to talk about how generous my parents were. (laughs) It just felt so good to me to remember their goodness. And yet, I really have not despite that phenomenal um, effort to help the world, I never inherited that 
generosity myself. Uh, I know I did not. And hopefully I might be able to change that. Yeah, a theme that came up um, both driving with my friend who's in the group here and speaking in a small group was the with the impulse to be generous comes this fear of obligation or what acting on that will bring and that that issue of boundaries and the ability to set those and maintain those just was so striking to me. I never thought about it before. But it, it's there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, two, two thoughts. One was, one was that um, we all sort of focus on financial generosity, and it it struck me that. A bigger issue for me is more emotional generosity. And with, I guess, both of them um, came the issue of um, the expectation of return for generosities given and how to, how to be generous without an expectation of what that's going to get you. Um, what arose for me was um, kind of looking at my family. There was sort of the sense that um, you can do acts of generosity or giving, but you're not supposed to talk about it because I didn't find out about what my parents or my dad did through him, but through neighbors, like accidentally. Thank you. I think kind of on the flip side of generosity is receiving it and being gracious. And feelings uh, kind of kept in our group of, for myself, inconvenience or guilt for then asking for something when you receive it. And like, oh, like, am I being inconvenient? And not, rather than being gracious and being in that moment completely and starting to cultivate that. One more. One more. Yeah. I didn't realize this until start really thinking about generosity. And I thought, how do I feel about this? Then I look into myself. Is if I have a sense of lacking in me, then the chances are I'll be contracted. I just don't tend to go to generosity side. And, but if somehow I feel so full, doesn't matter we're talking about financially, emotionally, or, you know, if, or time-wise. But if I feel full, I feel like, yeah, that it just not naturally overflow into that. I just thought, yeah, I should focus on that part, you know, half empty, half full. Thank you. 
Okay, well, I'd like... Oh, go ahead, Mitra. Oh, okay. Turn it over to David here. We'll have a okay. guided meditation. So we'll do a guided meditation now. And um, the focus of the guided meditation will be to get in touch with your feelings of generosity in your body. So if you could close your, close your eyes or however you like to meditate. Take a, an alert, relaxed posture. And relax your shoulders and your heart, your belly. Relax your face and your head, your brain. And now try to open to something inside you that is generous. It might be helpful to recall an incident lately, could have been today or yesterday, where you were generous generous with your attention, your listening, doing something for someone, your children, your spouse, a friend. Your own generosity, how did it feel? How does it feel now? The Buddha said, if people knew the benefit of generosity, they would never pass up an opportunity to be generous. How would that be to never pass up an opportunity whenever you feel the slightest impulse to be generous? Just go for it. the benefits of these feelings. How does being generous help you? 
how does it help you not suffer so much? How can it heal you? When you're generous to someone Maybe just spending time with them is an act of generosity. In any way that you're generous with someone, you're telling them, I love you. I care about you. And in the same way, when we're generous with ourselves, In meditation, we're so generous with ourselves, we're giving ourselves all of our attention, all of our attention, unconditionally given to this body and mind. Intimately knowing yourself. Giving your attention. Rather than snapping back, giving. giving our attention to our suffering. How does that help you? How does that liberate you? attention is maybe a little more difficult to when someone was generous with you. Recently or in the past. Allow those feelings to come through you. Could be a teacher's generosity toward you or a spouse or a friend. Or some person in your history. The Buddha said there are two kinds of blessed people. Those who are generous and those who are grateful. 
the blessings of gratitude. the generosity of the sky, the sun, the air that breathes us, the generosity of our life itself, brimming with energy. Many people, maybe most people, have complicated relationships with their parents. But beneath that complication, feeling the generosity of your parents They gave you life. They cleaned you. They fed you. Clothed you, educated you. And maybe they weren't so skillful, but all parents love their children. Want their children to be happy. many acts of generosity all day long. Opening the door for people or having them open the door for you. Letting people in traffic. Smiling. Many moments of generosity all day long. That's why it's a jewel of the heart to be cultivated and developed. Beautiful in the beginning. when we think of an act of generosity. Beautiful in the middle. In the act of generosity. Beautiful in the end. 
when we see how our generosity affects others. And how generosity is the gift that keeps giving. As we remember these acts of generosity, so nourishing to us, this is our wealth when we have more than enough, we give. I thought we would break up into groups again, groups of three, if that works, or if extra people, groups of four. And in the same way, going around and uh, maybe taking three or four minutes each and uh, maybe focusing on those three questions I brought up. How does generosity help you? How does it liberate you? And how is it um, healing for you? How is generosity healing for you? So it could be any one of those questions, just whatever appeals to you. And so I'm suggesting we go around and take four minutes a piece, or what do you think? Do we have enough? Three, minu- three minutes? Three, maybe. maybe three minutes each. And um, you can just focus on any one of those questions. How does it help you, liberate you, heal you? And um, if you uh, make it through the circle, just keep going, just feeding, feeding on each other, okay? So go ahead and form groups. Might as well meet some new people. Why not? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever's convenient. Do you want the bell? Hmm? What? Do you want the bell? So let's all come back to the group now.
Anybody like to share anything about what came up there? Sure. Let's see if the light's on there. Hello? Okay, here. Uh, thank um, Yes, yeah, so I'm kind of new to this, and I just really appreciate being here. Thank you so much. And um, I love what you talked about in nature, you know, like how the generosity, because it's easy for me to remember about the sun and the sky and the wind. And I looked up at the tree, you know, and the beauty. And I really appreciate um, your talks and then breaking up and being in these circles, you know, getting to know these people. And I was so moved in um, the last, in bo- both the groups, but in particular in the last group, uh, I guess, I don't know, I'm not used to the format here, you know, I'm not going to, but I was so, is it okay to say about your father? Is not, is that appropriate? She said it was okay. It's, it's so, you know, you um, yeah. Noel, right? Yes. Noel shared about uh, her elderly father who passed away a year ago, and um, she called him every morning at 7 o'clock, in the morning so that he could talk and for a long time but she told me that um, he got all dressed up for that talk that it was so important to him and that that is such a gift and here her her deceased father was able to share that to me you know for me and and in the other group just witnessing someone's courage you know from our family of origin stuff so I feel really blessed to be here with everybody and learning about... I didn't know learn too much about this, and thank you all so much. I'm really getting a lot out of it. So much. That's all I have to say. Well, what's next is for me to give a, offer a, a few comments, a short little talk. I was just saying to Jennifer, I feel like the room could give this talk, so <laughs> we could just keep going around. But yeah, I'll give you all a break from speaking, and I'll speak for a while. Um, I just want to talk about some themes in the way that generosity supports our practice. How is it one of these paramis, and what does it mean that? How does it? It's, it's pretty obvious, but we we're we're just basking in the obvious goodness of this today. So I'll just offer a few comments. Um, I like the way, I think maybe that uh, chapter about crossing the floods that we sent out was a little bit heavy reading for some of you, so don't worry about that if you didn't read it. But I just want to highlight that this idea he had that generosity and virtue and letting go, he... In his next chapter, he kind of groups them together as getting on board for this process that we're doing here where we're turning our whole point of view, you know, from the self-centered to the to the opening to the world. And uh, it's this basic reorienting of our intentions. It really relates very closely to wisdom, generosity, because we're 
reorienting our attentions away from that self-centered, the fear and the grasping, the feeling of not having enough that some of you mentioned, the security issues. And we're turning toward this trusting and non-clinging and non-harming and sharing and interbeing as we are with the world. So it's actually the first step on lots of the Buddha's lists, generosity, it's this orientation. And then in a way it's also the last step because after even people are liberated, what is there to do besides go out and share it, right? And teach and travel and spread the way. So um, I love this Zen teaching of the ox herding pictures where you're, it's stages of the ox is kind of a symbol of the crazy mind and you're the runaway ox and there are all these stages, the pictures of going out and trying to find your ox and tame it somehow. And then the very last step, he's, he's, he goes, well, he's riding the ox and then there's no ox and no him and no nothing. But then the very last step is returning to the village with gift-bestowing hands. You know, so the, the end is... The end is not uh, just personal liberation or disappearing or anything like that. But letting all of our suffering evaporate so that we can come back to the village with gift-bestowing hands. So when we look at this practice of generosity, I like to... Sometimes when we take on a practice, it can seem kind of heavy, like, oh, I I need to start doing all this. And some of us, I have a very guilty-oriented mind, and... I start hearing, oh, I'm not doing enough. and So I think it's really helpful to just start by recognizing what you're already doing. And I think David alluded to some of that. But just, just seeing if you can pick up the scent of this sense of generosity in any little thing you're doing. Many of you are parents, for heaven's sake, that's all generosity <laughs> practically. And then, you know, your job, I mean, just showing up at your job, you're supporting, you're part of society in that way and... David mentioned traffic and I happened to be thinking about that because a stoplight was out the other day and I was so, look at every, you know, we use traffic a lot for road rage examples and stuff, but for the most part it works, right? And then when the stoplight goes out, everybody's just taking turns and it's so nice to see what, you know, civilization is based on this kind of concern for each other. So it certainly doesn't matter what we have to give or how much we have to give, whether we're giving money or time or attention or emotional openness. A um, couple of quotes from the suttas, just, just to show that they're on the right track too. <laughs> uh, even if one throws away the rinsing from a pot or a cup into the village pool or pond, wishing that the living beings there may feed on them. Even this would be a source of merit, not to speak of giving a simple gift to human beings. So anytime you do something with the idea that this is, may somebody benefit from this a little bit, some, some animal, enjoy your leftovers. Some provide from the little they have. Others who are affluent don't like to give. An offering given from what little one has is worth a thousand times its value. So also... I think generosity supports our practice because it helps with the embodiment of wisdom because we're doing something. And in that move of letting go and handing over, something in our neural circuitry gets some practice with that move of letting go. Any of you remember Shanti? Any of you have been around long enough? She used to cook for our retreats in the old days. She died a few years ago. 
But she used to give a teaching from her special tradition where you would just stand there and you would practice handing over something. It's like a potato, you know, hand the potato (laughs) to the next person. And you would just practice that physical act of handing and letting go. You know, and it was, it sounds simple, but there's something in the neurology that kind of, yes, you know. (laughs) And then you can imagine maybe something else that you can give. So, uh, yeah. And then as many of you mentioned, just having that intention of generosity, it does highlight our edges. And that's where it comes to be a support in the wisdom part of our practice, where we're not, we're looking at what are the difficulties And the way we hold those difficulties is so important. So guilt and self-criticism is just piling on non-generosity and piling on aversion. But the more we can be interested in seeing the conditions that are actually in play there, so that's one reason we talked about some of our family conditioning, we can see what's going on. And we can see that with an open heart, with curiosity. And that's much more likely to lead to deeper transformation. Um, as we see that it really just is conditioning. And then, you know, we can start to work on it. So a lot of situations can call up a sense of boundaries. You know, what is this sense of boundaries? Like sharing, you know, how, how, much, how well would you have to know someone or how close would you have to be sitting to eat lunch by yourself and share or not share, you know, if they weren't having any? You know, probably if it was a friend and you were sitting right next to them, of course you'd share if they didn't have any. But, you know, how far away would the park bench with the homeless person have to be before you could (laughs) sit there and eat your lunch without sharing? (laughs) So you can just kind of notice, you know, what is it? What are you protecting and where, what's going on there? When we talk about giving away, we can, in this little sense of, oh, you know, you read all these glorious stories of people who gave away their most precious things and, you know, somebody walks in and says, I like that, and they take it off the wall and give it to them. And You know, I I don't quite do that. (laughs) So (laughs) where is the boundary of, you know, what does it mean, this whole relationship to possession and to having things and, and the imaginary security that comes from stockpiling stuff? I was so moved by the various stories that came out of Puerto Rico you know, after the hurricane a couple of years ago, all that stuff, gone, you know. The people who were making it were the people who had networks of friends, (laughs) you know, and the source of that culture that was generous and sharing. So one person would have a generator and another person would have a chicken and another person would have some water and, you know, there was a meal for the three of them. And that's that's how lots and lots of people were getting by in that situation. So what are you, what is it that you're accumulating you know, a, a sharing, generous community versus a lot of stuff. You know, you can really look at that in terms of uh, what might be useful. And then we've talked so much about receiving gracefully. What is it to find that we find that hard? You know, it goes back to this idea that we're somehow ought to be self-sufficient. And so it's again, it's working on that sense of self and that sense of control and that sense of I've got it all together. You know, and not really, it's ungenerous not to recognize how dependent we are, not only as we were saying on the sun and the water and so forth, our parents, but our communities, somebody to keep the lights on, somebody to keep the food growing and the water running, all that is is worth appreciating. And then we can also look at some other more subtle nuances maybe of 
generosity. Um, I always like this passage from a piece by Rachel Raymond where she's pointing out that uh, she uses the word service to describe an attitude of maybe a holistic kind of giving. Sometimes when we get into giving, there's a little bit of superiority in it or there's a little bit of distancing yourself, helping and fixing and those some ways of giving can just start to be a little bit off, right? So she says when you help in this kind of off way, you might be you might be taking away more from people more than you could give them. You might be diminishing their self-esteem, their sense of worth, their integrity, their wholeness. You know, you wouldn't do your child's homework every night, right? They need to they need to grow and try for themselves. And so there's some of that. And she says when we serve, we don't serve with just our strength and superiority. We serve with ourselves. We draw from all our experiences. Our limitations serve. Our wounds serve. Even our darkness can serve. The wholeness in us serves the wholeness in others and the wholeness in life. The wholeness in you is the same as the wholeness in me. And service is a relationship between equals. So just looking at how we're holding, you know, our notions of kind of compulsive giving and helping and so forth. And then we can also work with our views. So I just wanted to share, it's on my mind because the author of this book came to speak to us recently and she was so impressive. I learned a lot about, you know, this other, this other paragraph I just read is extolling the wholeness and so forth. That can become a view where you're, you're thinking that you know best what wholeness is. So, you know, this was a woman of color who was also a lesbian and lots of, you know, she's had it from all sides in terms of, people's views coming at her about her life. So she and one of the things she noticed is that she she's benefited so much from support groups, affinity groups of people of color and LGBT groups and so forth. And there's a tendency in some spiritual circles to think, well that's not wholeness, you know, that's what happened to wholeness. So her response on that, which I've learned so much from, she says it's not enough to exchange the delusion I for another more appealing delusion called we. We must not perpetuate a false sense of oneness. There's no need to work at oneness. It already exists in nature. When we look out into a garden and see curly willow trees, roses, succulents, collard greens, and plum blossoms, we are witnessing oneness. We don't have the power to create it. Acknowledging the existence of a a varied embodiments in our lives does not negate oneness. If doing so could take away oneness, then what kind of oneness would that be? We are all in the same garden, but in different parts of it. Some plants need light and some need shade. Some are dying and some are not. We are in different parts of the garden because it's necessary. So I'm just offering that as a way to look at our views. Views, All kinds of views come up all the time, and generosity can be a place where we are really opening to listening to what other people need and listening to what other people want and, you know, trusting that and also trusting our own wisdom, you know. It's it's an interesting dance, the dance of wisdom and generosity, you know. Do we give heroin to someone who wants heroin? I don't know. Do we do our kids' homework every night? I don't know. Do we, you know, do we support people who want their own groups? Well, yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. And so what you know, what we can look at different ways of uh of holding our understanding of what it is. 
And then David mentioned this teaching that it's good, generosity is good when you're thinking about doing it, and it's good when you do it. It's good even when you see the fruits of it. It's good even if there aren't fruits of it that you can see. It's good recollecting your own good heart. Yeah, so I remember when I first got involved in the Dharma, it was a time when all these retreat centers were getting built, like Spirit Rock, and it made me so happy. I wrote the checks, and I went down and handed them, and I got the little tchotchkes back, the little souvenirs that they were giving out, and I put them up all over my house. And So, you, you know, I enjoyed that. It's natural, I think, that generosity begins with attitudes that have some flavor of self-benefit and self-esteem building in it, you know. We do wish to see ourselves as good people, so maybe we should be good people. <laughs> and, and as that develops and we enjoy it, then, then we can kind of let go of needing to cling to that so hard. But I just want to say not to, uh, you know, not get too hung up on what's good generosity and bad generosity and know that we're working on all these paramis together of wisdom and generosity there's a beautiful there's a yeah there's a beautiful book about a man named Munindra who was a teacher of many of our teachers a guy in India who's gone now but just relating to this issue of balancing one person who knew him says he was very frugal and definite about not paying too much he would not accept being ripped off i remember somebody one time he said he was haggling in the market and somebody was surprised and he said, I said, be simple, not be a simpleton. <laughs> so, you know, using all of your common sense and anyway, but then it says he had a soft spot for the real needs of people. He spent a lot of time thinking about others. He was highly motivated to uplift people who had potential to better themselves and prosper but were held down because of poverty. If he knew that someone was a good person, he would often be very generous with them. So then there's this kind of boundless compassion, this unconditional giving like the sun gives to the earth. You know, highly realized beings just give by who they are. They just walk into a room and there's a sense of, you know, that you're in a field of wisdom and generosity. So how do they get that way? You know, Jennifer's going to talk more <laughs> later about, you know, taking care of ourselves and doing our own practice, right? So how they get that way is they spend maybe a large chunk of their life in what might look like selfish, solitary practice, right? So it's, we can hold everything we're doing if we work in what's called sometimes the spirit of bodhicitta. That's the spirit of the awakening heart where you're doing your practice at some point in your mind for the benefit of all beings, You know, we can look at our own suffering. If we understand our suffering really well, then we know something useful to share, right? So you can look at your own, you can hold your own suffering as a field of investigation that you're doing for all of us and what you can learn about it. So I'm over time. I'll stop here. Let's take a break. So we'll have about a 10-minute break, okay? Thank you. You've all been so good about being on time. So I am practicing generosity towards my own body by standing and talking. Because at the break, as I was talking with Mitra, um, yeah, so, you know, the lower back gets a little tight when I sit. And this is uh, a talk next on 
caring for the self as a form of generosity. So it's the first way of modeling that. Okay, so doesn't matter how far your arms go, but I'm going to start out with a body movement. You just sit, you can be sitting down, because sometimes we all learn differently, and sometimes, for me anyway, if I do something in my body, I remember it. So, bringing the two hands to your heart center, and then bringing your arms up, and this right here, as your arms are up, is reaching to the great energy field of infinite generosity to all beings and towards ourself and the generosity in our own hearts and self grows up and out to the great generosity of the infinite energetic universe. So there we go. So that's how I'm going to start the talk about the generosity in caring for ourselves and how being generous to our own body, mind, and heart is actually generosity towards all beings. And the Buddha put this so beautifully in a very short sutta, so I have to read this because it's, it really helps me to feel into what this is in the heart. So it's called the Malika Sutta, and the conversation starts out between a king and a queen. So at this time, King Pasanadi of Kosala was on the upper terrace of the palace with Queen Malika. And the king asked her, Malika, is there anyone dearer to you than yourself? And in my mind, I imagine, I don't even know if this is true, so I'm thinking he's wondering, you know, oh, she's going to tell me, no, it's me who's, you know, the king who's the most dear one. So that, that's my imagination and my training. Your majesty, there is no one dearer to me than myself. And you, sir, is anyone dearer to you than yourself? Nor is there anyone dearer to me, Malika, than myself. Then the king went down from the palace and visited the Blessed One, which is the Buddha. So he sought out the Buddha. So maybe the king is thinking, I don't know about this. (laughs) How do I feel about this whole thing that just happened? So, and the Blessed One, understanding, thereupon uttered this verse. So the king told the Buddha what the conversation was between him and the queen. And the Buddha says, Though in thought we range throughout the world, we'll nowhere find a person more dear than the self, than oneself. 
So since, and this is a beautiful line here, so since others hold the self so dear, she who loves herself should love others and injure no one. So this, for me, is really an important teaching. The Buddha is talking here about if we can understand in the heart how dear and how precious we are, we are ourselves, and then we can feel into how precious everyone else is. And for some of us, maybe this is difficult, so we can actually start the other way. If we can feel into how precious other people are, maybe in our family or little babies or animals, then we can see, oh, then I too am precious. And I too have Buddha nature, just as that person or that baby or that little puppy has Buddha nature. So too do I. And so this is where the whole field of generosity comes from. And I love, I have a a wonderful, at least for me, it was a beautiful example of this that happened right here at our meditation center. And so a couple of months ago, we gave an intro to meditation course here. And there was a young mom who was here with two babies, two little ones, a job, and a husband. And she came here and she told me at the end of the five weeks, and she came every week. And this class was 7.30 to 9. And she said, you know, I was so stressed and stretched, right? That's kind of what happens when we're on overwhelm. And I had to talk to my husband and I said, Honey, I can't do this. I'm not a good mother, I'm not a good wife, and I'm not a good worker at work. And there's this meditation class and I really have to go. And she could have done this online, but she came in person, probably with the wisdom of knowing that if she stayed home, there's just no way, right? There's a lot of shaking heads. She was a different person at the end of five weeks. It was so beautiful to watch her coming in the first week, you know, just exhausted. And the fifth week, she was shining. And I just, that makes me really happy because that's how being generous to ourselves and really having, you know, to draw a line and saying, I need this. Then she became a better wife and a better mother and a better worker. So this is, you know, on one end of the spectrum, for example, you know, how self-care can be a generosity towards all beings. I have another friend who has been caring for her ill mother for several months. And she is my friend has been attending to her and unfortunately after so many months of not attending to herself but attending to her mother she's now sick herself and right 
we hear this, we see this, we know this. It happens. And it doesn't happen, it just happens, right? Because the heart comes, you know, she loves her mother and she wants to help. And then time goes by and she skips her own appointments and and before you know it, now she's not well. So now she has to find someone to care for her mother and care for her. So this is kind of the spectrum, right, of someone who's caring for themselves, there's a generosity towards caring for all beings, and all the way on the other side of the spectrum, where we just don't see until we kind of break down, like a car breaks down because it doesn't have enough gas or oil, you know, we break down and there's a burnout. So there's words for this, whether, you know, burnout, compassion fatigue a lot in the caretaking field and the healthcare field. So, thankfully, we have the wisdom of the Buddha about the middle way, right? So there's a middle way to all this. And, and really, when I'm talking about self-care here, I'm talking about very simple, at least in this talk, very simple but important self-care um, acts behavior, so getting enough sleep, getting some sunshine, getting out in nature, having time for meditation and reflection. And so much of the literature now talks about the importance for creativity, having some kind of creative outlet. And the list goes on. I I was on the websites, you know, 257 self-care practices, right? I mean, it just, and they break it out in different categories, you know, so obviously it seems to be for Westerners or maybe even people, in particular people here in the Bay Area, but maybe even, you know, for those of us who come here to the meditation center. It's it's a way that we're always trying to find our way and the balance. And this is, as Chris talked about, it's a wisdom practice, it's a discernment practice, and it's a compassion practice. So, each person discerns for themselves what is the appropriate, what is the appropriate kind of self-care and generosity to self and the balance between the two. And it really depends on the conditions of your life and your own capacities, and we're all different. So, for example, the Buddha had a very large monastic community that he was the leader of, right? That's, that's quite something that to have. He, he was also doing a lot of teaching. He had a huge capacity for teaching and traveling around and teaching. So for the Buddha, he had a 24-7 attendant, right? Ananda. And for one of us, if we had an attendant, that would be inappropriate. Well, maybe. I'll I'll speak for myself. (laughs) Although I would really like it. (laughs) It would be a little bit over the top. But for the Buddha, this was absolutely appropriate. And also culturally, probably what that was um, appropriate. Um, He also had a bad back, so sometimes he had to have other people give the Dharma talks, right? So conditions and capacities of ourselves just depend, and, and really it's different on a different day, right? So I love the story of Thich Nhat Hanh, um, 
when he, when he used to be doing a lot of teaching and writing and serving. He did so much in the world. And someone asked him, you know, wow, how do you do it all? He has a huge capacity. And he had his own monastic community as well. And he was so clear about his answer. He said, I garden. Isn't that beautiful? I garden. He says, I get peace and calm and serenity and joy when I garden. And he says, so if we have no peace or calm or joy ourselves, how can we imagine that we're going to offer it to other people? And so that was his one of many of his practices. And I found that so beautiful. Another practice of a woman right here in Oakland who I admire so much, her name is Musham Patricia Akita. She is an engaged Buddhist teacher. So she's involved in a lot of... Um, social activists, social justice and activist work. And she found, and we talked about this morning about what's the culture, what was our family of origins, you know, beliefs about generosity. And we can ask the same question related to self-care as an act of generosity. What, what were we taught when we were young? What has our culture taught us? What has the job environment, sometimes different workplaces, have different cultures around that? So she noticed as she was doing this wonderful, powerful work for all beings, social justice, that everyone around her was getting burnt out. And they would move on and they would have to do other things. And I see this in the healthcare industry. Nurses are burnt out. Doctors are burnt out. Therapists are burnt out. And so she came up with something that I think is so brilliant and beautiful and it works. She put together a contract for herself and all the people she worked with on her team. And the contract is a couple paragraphs, but I'm going to read you the statement. It says, I promise for the benefit of all beings to practice self-care, mindfulness, healing, and joy. I vow not to burn out for the benefit of all beings. That is so powerful. She then created a culture of taking care of yourself and feeling into how that's helping all beings, how it's benefiting all beings. And her team, as you may guess, most of them have not burnt out. Some of them moved on for other reasons. But this is beautiful. And she herself is continuing to offer in the capacity that she has. She's an author. She's a poet. She goes and talks in groups. She's just amazing. Now, something else that she brought up, which I think I read and I thought, ooh, (laughs) I have to say, for me, I had to look at this. 
I'm going to use two words for this because one is pretty harsh. And she says, the underlying cause of burnout or compassion fatigue is greed. Okay, greed is the exact opposite of generosity. It was so harsh for me, I had to change the word to clinging. (laughs) So she says, we can be clingy from a Buddhist viewpoint for good things. We can cling to helping others, right? And now I'm hearing and I'm seeing the nods. We can cling to be of benefit, right? And so there's whole 12-step groups for this called Codependence Anonymous and Al-Anon. And so this is something that she is naming that I was like, wow, that that's... Um, one of the Buddha's teachings, right? Non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion. So I, I love how she brought that in to her, her teachings. Um, so, so generosity is, again, a discernment practice, a compassion practice. Each day we have to see for ourselves, you know, what's appropriate balance for me today? The sutta reminds me over and over when I, when I have a hard time connecting with how precious I am. I, I often have an easy time being able to see that in others. So I have to practice, and it reminds me so much of our metta practice, where some people actually have to send metta to other people first, their benefactors, or little babies, or animals. And then from that place, they're able to send their own heart some loving kindness. So I'm going to end with, before we break out in groups, something just as a reminder that we all do, um, many of us, the act of generosity towards ourself in our meditation practice, for me, has been so powerful. Because if I do nothing else in the day, for something like at least 14 to 16 hours of my waking day, I am offering my attention and presence to others. So I take that 30 to 45 minutes in the morning to offer my own attention to myself, to bring my loving presence to myself. And it's such a beautiful act of generosity that Sylvia Borstein in the book, Pay Attention for Goodness Sake, which is one of my favorite books, she calls meditation, not just meditation, she calls it generosity meditation. And she says, no matter how many minutes you sit, think of it as a sabbatical. I love that, right? And I love in some religious traditions, they have, you know, the, the Sabbath, right? some kind of a Sabbath. So I, I love thinking of my meditation as a sabbatical and a Sabbath and offering myself my own loving attention. So when we break out in groups here in a couple of minutes, I have, of course, a question for you. And the question is, 
One of the central teachings of the Buddha is the importance of the middle way. So finding balance in all aspects of our life. So how do you practice with finding the balance between generosity and wise self-care and generosity towards all beings and towards others? So both are important. And of course, both are not mutually exclusive, just like the example with the mom, you know, just like our meditation practice. And when we break out in groups, and we'll have groups of four, this time (coughs) what we're going to do is share ideas and comments around the circle and, you know, throw out a couple of your comments and then let it go around and then you'll see as you get ideas from others, then that will inspire something else and you'll share that and then you go around again and there's just you just go around in a natural way. But it's also a way of um, just sharing without doing like the four minutes and the four minutes. So there's kind of this flow, right? And whenever I think of generosity towards self and others, I, I literally think of this flow. That's why I love you know, this whole gesture, because as we give ourselves, it gives others. So the flow of generosity. So go ahead and break out into groups of four. You can have new, meet new people or just however it feels comfortable for you. And then I'll ring a bell when we start. When she had that contract, it was self-care, my influence, helping or healing. 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 Yeah. Good yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And if we need one group, uh, uh, if we need a couple groups of five, that's fine. Because we're just going to go round and round, so... Great, and you can take a minute to just say your name, and and then we'll start. And if it's helpful of who starts first, (laughs) you can do the person closest to me if that's helpful, or you can just decide whoever in your group. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, suggestions for the day. 
Oh, if you want this, but you know. But you're, you're, you're full. I love the community building. It's wonderful. So we have a couple of minutes to hear how that was for you. I would love to hear what the comments were, some of them, the highlights, the lowlights, whatever you want to share. It's the the pre-lunch... <laughs> bodily experience. Yet. Um, So the... I live nearby, but have only been here maybe two or three times kind of drop-in previously. And I... I joined this series uh, because I just recently completed my first retreat at um, the Associated (laughs) Retreat Center, and it was a very powerful experience for me. So I was thinking, oh, if I'm at least coming once a month, it can help me (laughs) remember those (laughs) experiences. Um, And then when I first arrived this morning, I was kind of thinking, what, why do you think that such a short, you know, a little two hours is going to be able to give you that good reminder of <laughs> the important things that you're reminded of kind of in the retreat context? But I've been a little bit shocked today, <laughs> feeling mm. like, oh, yes, right. <laughs> you know, this, right, what's important. And, yeah. you know, the community and the openness of the group has been really fantastic. Mm. My name is Ek. So I was uh, born and raised in India. And uh, all I have seen people around me is caring for others. Hardly anybody caring for themselves. So uh, I was also like that. So being alone here uh, by myself from last six years, uh, especially first three and a half years, just by myself. I I understood the value of uh, self-care 
because my mom wasn't here, my father wasn't mm-hmm. here, and uh, everything I have to do by myself. So even right now, I can see, I can find it hard to balance because it's so deeply conditioned in me. And uh, yeah, I, I really found it helpful to reflect on it. Thank you, and that's something so important, is, right, as we talked about what were we taught and our upbringing. And um, just to also say, if any of you are interested, I'm sure you've done your own research at times, there's so much research done on the impact on the body, so our mental health and our physical health overall, of caring for the self, including finding time for joy and recreation and all of that actually affects the health and how long right how long we're here and the quality of our life. So yeah, so thank you. And it's beautiful to have a culture where we're caring for other people is so much a part of it that <laughs> But we're not we're kind of not in that culture, you know. I'm just just thinking of maybe the cultural difference between being in a culture where there is so much caring for other people that you feel cared for, you know. And then it's interesting being in this culture. It isn't quite like that. Well, thank you all for coming so that we get to have the fun of doing this. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's one of these definitely mutual situations. It's great. Well, um, I just wanted to say a little bit about... I think I mentioned in the beginning that we're going to send out the readings on the next topic. 
So what we're, and that unfortunately getting started on that means being a little bit short on generosity and CELA while we turn the ship around, you know. So we sent you one thing on generosity. We'll send you another reading on generosity next, this week, probably tomorrow I'll send it out. And then there'll be two weeks of readings on Sila, which is the next topic. That's the Pali word. I'm always never sure whether to call it virtue or ethics or morality. All those words have their resonances with people. So I tend to just call it Sila, (laughs) which is the word from the Pali. And so we'll have two weeks of readings on that coming. And then we'll meet next time. We'll talk about that. And that's so related to generosity. I love the notion that it's giving harm acting harmlessly, acting out of non-harming. It's giving the gift of fearlessness, the gift of safety to other people. So it's an you can look at it helpfully as an extension of our discussion on generosity is what we give to other people that makes them feel safe. And uh so we'll talk about that and next month and then we'll be on our after that, you'll start getting readings on letting go, which will be the third topic. So, And I just want to say again, the readings are optional. You know, if you like to read, it maybe just seeing the email will remind you of the topic. And read it if you enjoy reading. And don't, don't make an issue out of supposed to read more than you feel like reading. So, yes, Conrad? Yes, they w- there will be, yes. We're we're thinking of some. (laughs) Good, yeah. No, every weekly reading will have a reflection to go with it. Yes, it may be. So you just want to look to the bottom of the thing and find the reflection, but it'll be there. Right. Go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yes, you probably got it from that address. If you've already got that, then you're probably good. Some mailers, well, I don't know. I'm using a different way of sending out these mails than I did in in the AFL Path program. We use this automated mailing system in that, and that somehow goes into junk for a lot of people. If you already got this, you're good, as far as I know. So... Okay, any more questions about the program or anything at all? Did you, Oh, you had something, Eck? Sorry. Just uh, like, do you have to give up an address to somebody? Oh, yes. Um, if you, you know there's a new website for IMC? Have you seen that? Yeah. <laughs> if, you don't, if you log on, it's all new. It's beautiful. It's been many years in the works, and you did a lot of work on it in the beginning, I know. So if you can find us, we're in, there's now a programs heading and under programs is year-long courses and we're listed under there somewhere in there there's a link you can click to just put yourself on the mailing list okay it's not a long form it's just a mailing list thing okay and you're welcome to you know if somebody wants to just drop in because one topic interests them that's fine so we're just going to do it like this (laughs) okay so we brought our lunch, and we're, if you did bring your lunch, you're welcome to stay and keep our community going here. Oh. And if not, that's fine. Yes. One thing I would love to do, it takes maybe 
30 seconds. Um, dedication of merit. Oh, yes, it just please. came to my mind because yes. it's my favorite part because it's about <laughs> gratitude. So in whatever way we've benefited from our morning together by something, maybe we heard someone say that just, oh, it inspired us, it filled our heart. Maybe something we said and all the above conversation, sense of community, connection with others, hearing the Dharma and the teachings. In whatever way we've benefited by being together this morning, may all this benefit and merit be shared with all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. May all beings be filled with joy. And may all beings... Have lots of love. Thank you for coming.